Let's stand to our feet and pray, and then we'll hop into reading the word together. Jesus, at the end of the day, no one came here to hear from me. God, we all came to hear from you. So, voice from heaven, speak to our hearts and our minds. God, renew right spirits in us. Help us to look more like you at the end of this, to think more like you at the end of this, to live more like you at the end of this. God, any distractions from within or without that would attempt to permeate the space you're trying to carve out in our minds, I ask that you rule and reign over those places. God, I decrease. God, move me out the way. Humble me so that you can shine most brightly and so that you can be lifted up most glorified. In the magnificent name of Jesus, we pray. Amen, amen, amen. All right, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 18, Matthew chapter 18. And as you turn there, we are again continuing our difficult saying series, right? And by that, we mean that there are very difficult things in the Bible that Jesus has said that we should probably pay attention to. And so we want to pay attention to some of those topics today. Today, we're in Matthew chapter 18, and we'll be reading from verses 1 through 9. It's on your phone. It's, on your, it's in your Bible. You guys can join me standing as we read, and I'll read these verses to you and with you. And it says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then he called a child to him and had them stand among them. Jesus then says, I assure you, he said, unless you are converted and become like one of these little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child, this one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one child like this in my name welcomes me. He goes on and he says, but whoever causes the downfall of one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for him if a heavy millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come, but woe to the man by whom the offense comes. If your hand or your foot causes your downfall, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or lame than to have two hands and two feet and be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes your downfall, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye rather than to have two eyes and be thrown into hellfire. Y'all can have your seats. Um, <laughs> right? And so if you don't know me, if I'm a stranger to you, my name is Malik. I'm one of the pastors here at Greenhouse South Florida. And when I said this was difficult for me too, I think by reading it, everyone can understand why. From children to millstones to at-home amputation, there's a lot going on in this passage that I want us to unpack, right? But how do we get here? How does Jesus get to this sort of conversation? Well, if we take a step back to chapter 17, I'll walk you through it really quickly. In chapter 17, Jesus and his disciples are on a mountain. And something happens at the big church where it is called the transfiguration. All that means is for a brief moment, Peter, James, and John, Jesus' inner circle, see him almost as godly as human beings can see him. The Bible says when Jesus unzips his flesh and, and he shows them his actual self, his face is shining like the sun and his clothes are as white as light. And so the disciples are on the mountain with Jesus and then Jesus 
comes down the mountain with the disciples and he heals a demon-possessed boy. And then after he heals this demon-possessed boy, if you're like me, if I'm Peter, James, and John, I just saw Jesus so bright, his face was shining. He just healed a demon-possessed boy. And then they get into a conversation about taxes. If you ask me what doesn't fit with seeing the glory of God, it's taxes. But they get into this conversation about taxes. And then after this conversation, Jesus' disciples show us how scatterbrained they really can be. And then they pivot from taxes to asking Jesus a question. Okay, by the way, who is, like, how do we become the greatest? Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Right? They go from seeing Jesus' greatness on this mountain to the beginning of the next chapter trying to vie for their own. If I could take a quick aside, something I've learned in Christianity is mountaintop experiences with Jesus don't fix all of our problems. Instead, when we actually see Jesus for who he is, the scary part is not that we understand it, it's that we understand it and then we want to become second. Right? We're like, hey, Jesus, you're first. I can see that. I'm a second now. And we start jockeying and vying for this. That's what the disciples are doing. They're saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom? And then Jesus goes and he doesn't respond to them. He calls over a little child. And if you're like me, your mind's wondering, well, how long did that take? If you've ever spent time around kids, they could have ran over there and it was two seconds or they could have danced and skipped and twirled and meandered their way over there and it was about five minutes before he got over there. But as that's going on, if you're a disciple, what are you thinking? We asked him a question and he called some random person's kid over here. Right, like what is going on in this encounter? And then Jesus puts this kid in the midst of them, in the middle of them. And I can imagine he has his hands on the, on the child's shoulders and he's like, if you want to become the greatest, humble yourself like this little guy right here. And number one, the rest of what we have on to is very difficult. But this is difficult for his disciples because here's the reality of it. In the Greco-Warman world, even worse than our world of today, kids had no rights. And by no rights, there are certain periods in history where the father owns his child to the extent that he can legally sell that child into slavery because that child is his property. Children had no rights. Nobody was fighting on the behalf of children back then. And so Jesus says, if you want to be the greatest, become like this little guy who has so little rights I called him over and he just came. Right, like today, a kid is I don't even know you. Right, like my little nephew, he's not going over with you. But that kid comes over and Jesus says, if you want to be the greatest, you have to become like this little child. But he doesn't end it there. You see, Jesus continues and he gets a little, his tone switches a little bit. When you're reading it, he goes from pre-K to Scarface real quick. He goes from pre-K to mafia and cement shoes real quick. He goes from, well, be like this little child. But if you don't, it would be better for a millstone to be hung around your neck and you tossed into the sea than to cause one of these little children to stumble. Ouch. Like, that, that, that's a lot. As somebody who can't swim, that is particularly offensive to me. Because number, number one, you could, so you could have said, Malik, you can just be tossed into the sea and it would have been hard enough for me. But he says, you tossed into the sea with a stone around your neck. So now I can't swim and I can't float, right? But this acts, really caused me to ask two questions as we're reading this. Number one, 
What is a millstone? And number two, why are you so angry? Both of these questions I hope we answer today, but we'll deal with the first one real quick. What is a millstone? That is a millstone. If you wonder, those are human beings for scale. That is a millstone. Jesus doesn't even say a millstone. He says a large millstone. If you're wondering how much does that weigh, Pastor Malik? Oh, a little over a ton. 3,300 pounds at maximum to be precise. See, the, the original audience would have understood what Jesus was saying here. When I hear a millstone, I'm thinking Scarface and cement boots. When they hear a millstone, they see this monstrosity. And Jesus is saying it would be better for this to be tied around your neck than for you to cause one of the children to stumble. Y'all can take that down. It's making me nervous, right? But that's what Jesus is saying there. But that's the first question. What is a millstone? Everybody know what a millstone is now? The second question, why is he so angry about this? Why is this so serious? And as I was praying and I was thinking through this, I guess I can ask you a question. Have you ever been at an experience that went poorly and it turned you off from doing that thing ever again? No, like I'll self-disclose, my name is Malik and I don't like escalators. Why? Because one time I was on an escalator and that thing moved when my brain wasn't ready for it to move. And great was the fall of that man. And so to this day, I don't do escalators. I do escalators on, on the first day with my wife because I couldn't let her know like I was afraid of escalators. So I just trembled the whole time, my hand on the railing. Why? Because one bad experience with something can ruin it for you. You ever been to a restaurant and God forbid you got food poisoning and you ain't been back since? And not only have you not been back since, but you told all your friends not to go there either. Right? Like, oh no, I don't go there. Last time I went there, I had to call out of work for six days, right? And, and we carry these experiences with us. Now imagine if that, if the experience someone has with their relationship with God or their relationship with the church, and they go, oh no, I went to church one time. Uh, after church, I had trauma for the next 10 years. I'm not going there. I, don't, I told all my friends not to go there. And then imagine being Jesus and people swearing off you and you ain't even do nothing. Imagine going to that same restaurant and giving that restaurant a bad Yelp review because the light you waited at at the stoplight before was too long. Because that's what happens in the relationship with God with a lot of us. Something that is completely exterior to him himself. Often people who claim to know him and might really not cause us to stumble. And Jesus is saying it would be better for a millstone to be tied around your neck and you tossed into the sea than to cause this to happen. So really, the first thing we have to figure out is, well, this is real serious. How do I not trip others? My word to you today, first and foremost, is don't trip others. Right? It sounds real simple. It sounds real niche. But who are the others? In this particular context, Jesus has a little child in front of him. And there is special care to be taken for younger ones, for those who are actual children and for those who have childlike faith. We are to take special care for those. But could I also submit to you that 
we are all God's children, that we should be careful when dealing with all of us. It's a question they ask Jesus, who is my neighbor? Everybody. Who are the others? All who are surrounded in this room with us today and those who are in rooms across the world and across the country claiming the name of Christ. Those are the others. Do not cause them to trip. That is a lot easier said than done. But the reality is that Jesus is reminding us of something that I don't think we have much of a mental context for today. In today's individualistic society, you don't realize that you can be detrimental or pivotal to someone else's faith. This is a term we don't really use in the church anymore, but when I was growing up, we called people brother and sister because it encaptured this reality that we are all a part of the family of God. So if you look around this room with you, if you're in the room, if you look around the room in Guyana, those sitting to the left and to the right and in front of you and behind you in Christ are your family. And we take special care of family, do we not? If we're in our own earthly families, like I can make fun of my brother, don't you dare make fun of my brother around me. Like, I can call my mama something. Don't you dare talk about my mama. Right? Like, me and my sister can go back and forth, and that's fine. But you don't have a right to do that. Because when we're family, things are different and things change. But when we don't treat each other as family, and we are more interested in ourselves than we are the people around us, you will trip somebody else. It's inevitable. When you are second and he's first and everybody else is behind you, the only person that matters is you. So if I was to package this and give us a big idea, here it is. If you don't remember anything else, the only way to not stumble is to be humble. That's what Jesus says. He says, you have to humble yourself like one of these children. He doesn't just say you have to embrace humility. What he says is by humbling yourself, you have to lower your own importance in your life. Right? Humble your, it is a verb. You are actively lowering yourself day by day and placing the rest of the watching world, the rest of the body of Christ ahead of you. When you humble yourself, you're not concerned about who's second, it's just everybody else. When you humble yourself, there are people that are more important to you. And that is something we can often forget. You see, because we've worked hard to solidify our own identities. And we've worked hard to get in charge of the things that we're in charge of. So why on God's green earth is God asking us to place ourselves lower? It's because when you love people more than you love yourself, the world is actually a better place. When we are more giving than we are taking, the world is actually a better place. When a church community is so involved in making sure that those around them are loved, everybody gets loved. When you love your neighbor and your neighbor loves you, it doesn't matter if you don't love yourself, their love for you helps you. But in a world where we're hard, it's hard to love yourself, and in a world where everybody else is loving themselves, people end up unloved because we're self-centered. Because we have become the most important things in our lives outside of God, and we aren't willing to give up anything for anyone else. 
What does it mean to not cause someone else to stumble? Well, I'm glad that we aren't the first church in the world to deal with this. In the first century church, the Apostle Paul has a very similar situation in his churches. If we look at 1 Corinthians and we look at what they're saying, Paul says this, And when you sin against other believers by encouraging them to do something that is wrong, you are sinning against Christ. So what if, I, what, if what I eat causes another believer to sin? I will never eat meat again as long as I live, for I don't want to cause another believer to stumble. Now what is Paul talking about here? In the first century church, there were some people who used to actually worship idols. And they used to actually burn meat or offer meat sacrifices to those idols. But sometimes the, the, the idol temple wouldn't use all the meat. And so the meat would go down to your local cheap meat store. And then you could go to somewhere that was going to offer you that meat and you could eat it. Now, if you're like me and you love a good lunch special, I would be the first one at the Idol Meat Store because I'm like, number one, idols aren't even real. And number two, this is a $3.99 lunch special and ain't nobody going to beat this. And so imagine a first century church, everybody is going to this $3.99 Idol Meat Lunch Special. But there are some people who literally used to worship the God that that meat was offered to. And so now you're planning your Friday night microchurch outing to the idol meat shop. And the person among you who used to go to that place is like, oh, I can't go there. And you're like, what do you mean you can't go there? And like, well, I don't know. like, whenever I'm in that environment, it, it, it brings me back to a place where I was before I met Jesus. And if you're like a lot of us in our modern context today, we'd be like, well, idols aren't even real, child. If you don't get over that and get in this car because it's $3.99 until 2, and I don't have time to go back and forth with you, right? And, and that's how we engage sometimes. But Paul is saying, I would rather never eat meat again than to do it if it causes someone around me to stumble. When I was reading this, I got really struck by my own life, and I asked myself the question, am I willing to never do something again if it would save my brother or sister in the faith. And that is a heart. What if this is the thing you love the most? What if every time God's like, no, you can't do that thing that you love. You can't go to that place that you love. You can't say that thing. You can't dress like that. You can't act like that. What it happens when it's the thing you care about the most? And if you're wondering, okay, here's what Paul says in Eugene Peterson's message translation. He says it like this. Christ gave up his life for that person. Wouldn't you at least be willing to go up to dinner for him? Because as you say, it doesn't really make any difference. But it does make a difference if you hurt your friend terribly, risking his eternal ruin. When you hurt your friend, you hurt Christ. A free meal here and there isn't worth it at the cost of even one of these weak ones. So never go to these idol-tainted meals if there's any chance it will trip up one of your brothers or sisters. Why? Because Christ gave up his life for that person. Because he values them immensely. I value them immensely. If we were to put some more skin and bones on this, if you were alive, which all of us were, in the year 2020, unless you're a newborn, hello, good to see you newborns, but unless you're a newborn and you were alive in the year 2020, we got front row seats to people being caused to stumble all around us. What do you mean, Pastor Malik? Well, I'll take you on a little bit of a time. Let's go on a time machine back to 2020, and let's camp out around that last half of that year, right around election time. And if you were to ask the people, like Barna, who did the numbers, 
the church ruined its witness by proclaiming more about political parties than about the cross. If you're wondering how you cause someone to stumble, it's by putting something ahead of Jesus, even if it's just on Twitter. It might not be that way in your heart, but even if it's just on your Instagram wall, if we put anything that is higher than Jesus, and that could be ourselves, if we are more consumed with ourselves and more consumed with what we want than the people around us, we can cause people to stumble. And we saw it, Christians were shouting from the mountaintops about whatever side of the aisle they were on, left, right, up, down, it don't really matter. People were placing things ahead of the cross of Christ and the church paid the penalty. And I don't know if you realize it, but we are still picking up some of those pieces. Because anytime we don't humble ourselves and put something ahead of Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter if you stick your foot out or not, someone is going to trip and fall. And that is what we do on one hand. But what about on the other hand? So I was talking to Pastor Mike from Greenhouse Tampa, and we're going back and forth about this sermon. And he shares a story with me that I want to share with you. He said, Malik, there are two really, really wealthy men. Both of these men give extremely generously to the church. Like they give more to the church than honestly I'm comfortable saying. But both of these men live their lives in two very different ways. They're both equally generous. One, when he walks in the room, you can tell he got money. His clothes look like he got money. His jewelry look like he got money. His car look like he got money. And when he walks in the room, the first thing you can think is, I need to make as much money as that guy because that looks cool. And then Mike said, there's another guy. The other guy gives just as much to the church and to mission and to the, and to the issues of the world. But this guy, he doesn't flaunt his wealth. He doesn't post about it. All he posts are pictures of his cute little kids. And when you see him, his kids are wrapped around his legs and he has on the most random, unmatching assortment of clothing you could ever see in the shoes that look like they came from Payless if they still existed. Right, and he is dressed like this. And Mike was like, Malik, one thing I've realized about being around both of those dudes, like Malik, listen, honestly, both of those dudes are great disciples. Both of those dudes really love Jesus. But he said, one of them makes me want to work harder and earn more money. One of them, wants, one of them causes me to want to be more like Jesus. You see, because it doesn't really have much to do when it, causes, when it comes to causing people to stumble about like, who you are. Like, I'm sure you're a good person. But does the way you live your life cause others to want to be more like Jesus? Or does it cause them to want to be more like you? Or want to be more like the party you represent? Or want to be more like the, the brand that you are so happy to support? Like what does the, the wake of your life leave behind you? And I don't say this as a perfect person. If you know me, I am far from that. I say it as someone who has spent a good share of their lives putting other things ahead of Jesus and watching other people stumble. You see, I was on the internet this week and I saw a post from an old friend of mine and she said that nothing has caused her to doubt her faith in Jesus more than Christians. She said, not the world, not her coworkers, not the, the media, but the people in church. And that hit me because sometimes we can get so self-righteous, myself included, that we put everything we think a Christian should look like ahead of someone actually getting to know Jesus and it blurs the cross of Christ. Church, I want us to be a church where people, all they say about us is greenhouse makes me want to be more like Jesus. 
Green Island doesn't make me want to be more like them. They don't, like, I don't see anybody in that room. I'm like, I want to be just like that person. Sure, listen, if you want to emulate any of us, but be like Paul. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Church, I want all of us to point so boldly to the cross that somebody looks at us and even goes, I don't even like you, but I love your Jesus. You see, because that's what other religions need when they look at us. That's what the world needs when they look at us. There's an old quote attributed to an old philosopher, and the philosopher said, listen, I don't really care for Christians, but I love their Christ. Church, now listen, I don't, like, I'm sure I want them to care for us a little bit, but let the beauty of Jesus be seen in us so much that I am so low, that, that I laid myself so humble, that I have lifted him up so that the whole watching world can see him. If I had to say it one more time, listen, don't trip others. And the only way to not trip somebody else the only way to not stumble is to be humble. But Jesus doesn't just end there. I made a joke about his joking amputations earlier. Jesus says, if your hand offends you, cut it off. If your foot offends you, cut it off. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. This is not literal. Please, by anybody online, in the room, watching this somewhere else, Jesus is not saying Literally, go to Lowe's, find something, and give yourself a procedure. No, 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 no. If anything, he offers the metaphor at the end. He says, because it would be better for you to enter into eternal life maimed than to go eternity in hell whole. So what did Jesus mean here? Well, don't trip others, but the other point in this passage is don't trip yourself. Have you ever been walking and not paying attention and you accidentally trip over your own foot? Nobody? No, okay, okay, thank you for your honesty. I'll self-disclose again and tell my own little silly story. I was going down the stairs at my high school one year and for some reason the stairs to this particular building, all three flights, were outdoor stairs. And we live in Florida and when it rains, it can rain sideways and get on those outdoor stairs. And so I'm walking down the stairs, not paying attention, trip over my own feet, and the rain doesn't help. And just like the escalator grape was the fall of that man, the fall of me was so great, I didn't even go to my next period. I went to, I went to internal suspension. I was like, I'm not dealing with this. I'm done for the day. I'm not going to school no more. Call my mama, come pick me up. I'm done. Like, I have fallen and I can't get up. Life alert can't help me. I went home, y'all. Why? <laughs> because... As hard as it is tripping somebody else, you really feel it when you trip yourself. But humility joins both of those together. How does it join them together? It joins them together because when we aren't humble, not only do we forget the needs of others, when we're not humble, we forget the frailty of ourselves. When we're not humble, we forget that, no, I need Jesus every moment, every hour. I don't just need him on Sunday morning. I don't just need him during my devotions on Tuesday morning. If I don't have Jesus with me every second, only he knows the foolishness I will get up to. You see, when we're not humble enough to recognize that I don't have the right to be in control of my own life, we will trip ourselves. And so we have to live this life. I'm not, I'm, listen, this isn't legalism. By no means am I going to end this sermon with a list of do's and don'ts to say saved. Instead, I encourage us to be very thoughtful of the way we live our lives. Why? 
because to many of us in here who have been hurt by church people, I want you to realize Jesus has a caveat in the word about church hurt. He says, if you hurt somebody in the church, it would be better for a millstone to be hung around your neck. And so for those of us wrestling with church, you wonder if Jesus doesn't care about what that assembly did to you or what that person said to you. What we read today shows that he cares and that he cares a lot. It shows that he hasn't forgotten you, but it also can show that you, with all wherewithal, can go back to your loving and heavenly father who was willing to dole out punishment and vengeance on those who have offended. Why don't we hold it and have vengeance on ourselves? Because God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And so for those of us who've walked this life and who have felt tripped up by other people, I encourage you to get up and keep walking because he has them sorted out. He will deal with that. I say this as somebody who as God has dealt with for their own self-righteousness and pride. I say it with somebody that had to be brought low for me to see God clearly. So by all means, keep following Jesus. Don't let someone else tripping you cause you to trip yourself and for you to stay down. Instead, I encourage you to get up, keep walking, keep following Jesus. Why? Because he loves you and he cares for you. And Paul said it best, he died for you. So listen, don't trip others and don't trip yourself. And so the question is, hey Malik, how, how do I not trip others? How do I not trip myself? I don't, I don't want to slip into legalism. I don't want a list of do's and don'ts. Instead, I just have one thing for us to do. Could you hand me that crown right there, please, sir? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. This is not from Burger King. You see, I'm a little like a fool, but it's okay. All of us at some point in our lives want to wear the crown of our own lives. We want to be in control. And if I'm going to be honest with you, maybe it's my youthful exuberance, but by all means, you have a right to wear your crown. If this crown is the identity that you curated for yourself, you have a right to wear it. It took you a while to become who you are. It took you a lot of pain and a lot of scars to get to the place where you are in life. And you can wear this crown with pride. But can I tell you a secret? In no kingdom do two people wear a crown. I was prepping this, this sermon this week and I was praying and God said, Malik, there's only one crown in my, thor- in my throne room. You see, when we get to heaven, the Bible tells the story and it says that all the elders cast their crowns before him. If you, if you just listen, how to be humble? The easiest way to be humble is to take your crown off. The easiest way to be humble is to recognize that, sure, it is my crown. Yes, I paid for it. I ordered it on Amazon. It arrived the next day because I have Prime, because I am supporting the problem. However, it came the next day. I paid for this crown. The receipt is in my name. It is on my bank statement. I worked for it. In your life, if the crown is your money, you earned it. In your life, if the crown is the way you want to live your life, you earned it. If the crown is the way you want to act, the way you want to speak, you earned it. But can I be real with you for a second? Can we be real about how heavy it is to wear the crown you constructed? Can we be real about how heavy it is to try to maintain the identity you built for yourself? Because every day you got to make sure people honor your crown. And then when they don't honor your crown, you get upset. And like, did they not see my crown? I polished it just for them. 
And then when people don't treat you the way you should, you get upset because you have a crown on and you should realize you have a crown on and it is heavy and it is tiring. And honestly, Jesus is saying, take the crown off. Why not? Because he has a control problem, but because it is too exhausting for us to wear. You see, when he paid the price on Calvary for our sins, he said, you can take the crown off. Worship team, if you guys can come up here for a second. I don't want to preach long before us because I don't want to stand in front of nobody and yell at them all day. This is a tough sermon, y'all. I wish I could get up here and tell you your breakthrough was coming. And maybe that'll be next week. But as for this week, I encourage you to take the crown off. Jesus says this in John, I think he says it like this. He gets up to it and he says, those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. If I was to paraphrase it in my own little translation, those who wear their crown in this life will lose it. Those who cling too tightly to the way they want to live their lives will lose it. But those who lose their crown for his sake will gain it. Why? Because that little cheap crown isn't worth what he's ready and willing to give you at the end of your life. That little, listen, the identity you built is beautiful. But what if I told you he had more in store for you than that? Who you are and who you want to be is great. But what if I told you he had bigger and better plans in store for you than that? The application is simple. Be humble. Kneel down. When we cast our crowns at his feet like the elders did in Revelation, the Bible says they knelt before the throne of the Lamb and they took their crowns off and they laid it at his feet. Jesus isn't saying he's taking it away. He's just saying put it at his feet because if you put a plastic crown at his feet, he will give you one that is made of gold, silver, and precious stones. Listen to me today. If you never hear me again, if this is the last time you hear me speak between now and eternity, the best thing you can do in your life is to lift Jesus high. He said, if I be lifted up in the world, I will draw all men to myself. Church, I don't know why I want to say this to us this morning. This world wants us to keep our crowns. This world wants us to stand in the throne room of an everlasting God and stand before him and say, I have a right to be who I want to be. You do, but it's too heavy. Let it go. You are tired. You are depressed. You are anxious. Let God be in control. Because I don't know if you realized it or not, but he's kept the world spinning for thousands of years. Every morning the sun comes up. And every afternoon it goes down and you don't have to think about it. If he dresses the lilies, how much more can he clothe you? If he watches the sparrows, how much more does he love you? The application is simple. And I ask that you take me up on this. This altar is officially open. If you want Jesus to be the Lord of your life, I invite you to come and kneel with me at this altar. Why? Because the world won't be changed by a church that stands tall, but it will be changed by a church who knows how to find their way on their knees. Your family won't be changed by your bickering and your arguing, 
but they will be changed by you knowing how to stay on your knees. Your addiction and the thing you're battling with won't be changed by your effort. It will be changed by you embracing the grace of an almighty God. So I ask again, is your crown too heavy? Is it too heavy for you to deal with? Listen, we're going to do it right now. If you want to lay your crown at the, at the altar of Jesus, please come right now. Pray your partners, y'all can come forward if you want. This is unconventional. But I would much rather create an opportunity for God to be glorified than for me to feel like we did church the way we want to do it. Listen, we're going to sing a song and invite us all to stand in worship. And as we sing this song, I want it to be the spry of your heart. If you don't want to stumble, lay it all down. If you don't want to cause others to stumble, lay it all down. Are you willing to give it all to Jesus? You don't have to trust the church. You don't have to trust me. This is your first Sunday with me. Instead, I point you to Jesus, who actually has done nothing wrong. Churches may have sinned and we have and we've lost it all, but Jesus has done nothing wrong. So I invite you today, give him control of your life, cast your crown at his feet and you will see the world around you change. So church, we're going to worship, but I invite us to pray. If you're worried about, and if you're worried about the time, listen, I ended early. But let's not leave here without laying it all before Jesus because he deserves nothing less. If you need prayer, our prayer partners are here. I'll come back out here in a second and pray, but let's take a few moments and give Jesus what he is due. In Jesus' name.